let's go. Drinks on Dusty, let's start the show. Drinks on Dusty, coming in hot, coming in to blow up the spot. Guess me picking what we be drinking. We don't know what Dusty is thinking. We are here to have a good time. See where the combo may just climb. Sit back, put your drinks up. Come on, y'all, fill up your cup. Drinks on Dusty, let's go. Come on, y'all, start the show. Oh no. All right, everybody, welcome to episode three of the Drinks on Dusty podcast. I, of course, am your host, Dustin Dusty. Um, today, we have a special guest, a good friend of mine. His name is Drew Velico. He is an actor. He's uh, He lives in New York City. He went to college together. He's a couple years younger than me. I feel like an old motherfucker with him. But he's a fan of the podcast. I'm going to bring him on. Um, he's another Nebraska boy just like me. And he's also going to be the first one I'm recording in my apartment. So I was been in Nebraska when I first started recording, but I'm back in New York City, you know, living the dangerous life. And it's my apartment, of course. Got the hats, got my fucking Packer flag in the background. Fucking look at that shit. It's fucking dope. And ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Drew Valaika. <laughs> What's up, buddy? Dude, I dig the denim look that you're going with right now. You know, I've officially deemed this my country heartthrob shirt. Your country like, heartthrob shirt? This is my, like, show up to the day and just, you know, kick open the door with the cowboy boot. Well, Drew, welcome to the podcast, man. I appreciate you being a fan and saying you like it and stuff. And then we got you on here. That's how, Again, people, that's how easy it is. You tell me you like it, you can come on the podcast with me. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Drew, what are we drinking today? Um, today we are drinking my personal favorite, some good old bourbon on the rocks. Some bourbon uh, on the rocks. What are today you? Today I have, I have my favorite bourbon on hand. Um, a little Basil Hayden. Ooh, I don't think I've ever had that. Um, Calvin, I was, I shared a little bit of this with my roommate Calvin last night. Yeah. Um, and he told me I had to make it very clear that this stuff is dangerously, <laughs> dangerously <laughs> well, um, it, it, it goes down like water. So, the, the, the one, the bourbon that you're drinking does? Oh yeah. It's like very, very mellow. Like oh, I'm not, okay. I'm not someone who likes to get kicked in the teeth when I drink <laughs> my liquor. Yeah. I but, don't either. Um, but, um, this stuff is good. I realized I was growing up and getting old when my philosophy around alcohol turned into, I'm going to knock this back real quick so I can't taste the alcohol, and became, <laughs> and it became, I'm going to sip this nice and slow so that I can taste the alcohol. The, see, I, for some reason, am still not at that state. Or I, I like to drink, I just drink fast. I fucking drink fast. I've always drank fast. And um, not, I like oh. the taste of alcohol now. Yeah, it, you should know. You've seen me enough. But um, again, I'm a big beer guy. And uh, I don't drink shit straight, really, ever. Which I thought was funny when you brought this up and you texted me. You texted me like, just so you know, I drink bourbon straight. And I go, God damn it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, here it is. So, cheers, my brother. Uh, hopefully I don't die. But thanks for being on the podcast. And I'm drinking Elijah Craig. So, shout out to Elijah Craig, which happens to be my favorite bourbon. But I also that's, don't know much about bourbon, so. 
That's a that's a personal favorite of mine, Elijah it is. Craig. Yeah, I think you um, yeah. probably came and smell it though. I'm a bitch. Um, I'm afraid. I, I get this on the rocks, Dusty. You can throw some ice in that guy. Mm. Yeah, that requires me. Oh, yeah, I do have some ice here. I'll put that in. Woo! See, I just can't. Shit is too strong for me all the time. But this isn't bad. But this that will keep me from chugging it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the time. I mean, the thing about this is that once like it gets cut a little bit, um, mm. it's very chuggable. Good. Yeah. You're you're like a, a a beer connoisseur in my eyes because I'm pretty simple. But I it's one funny story when we like met up and did like our our whatever check in. We haven't seen each other in a while. Let's go get a beer. You're when I took you to like my bar that I my regular bar. Um, you ordered a different beer every time. Yeah. You, you go every time. Uh, let's try this one. And I'm just like, dude, I just drink the same shit everywhere I go. But why why are you why are you such a you're kind of you're very more you're more sophisticated when it comes to drinking than I am. Why is that, Drew? Well, thank you, Dustin. I mean <laughs> my first oh. like two and a half years living in New York, I was working with a startup company actually that was focused around beer industry and giving consumers the draft beer experience at home. So we, we did a lot of work with local breweries. Um, and so I, that really, you know, I love the beer scene back in our good old fine home state of Nebraska. Go big um, baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so working at that job really taught me a lot about beer uh the beer industry just the like actual mechanics of what it takes to make beer yeah. um the guy that hired me at this company um great guy by the name of joe pfeiffer who sort of became like a mentor for me while i was there mm. he was uh what's called a cicerone which is basically don't know what that is huh i said don't know what that is it's do you know what a sommelier is yes the, i do know what that is so it's yeah, like a sommelier? So like a sommelier for beer. Ah, I want that for so the job. He could, he could, I mean, he was a walking encyclopedia of information on beer. He could try a beer and he could tell you exactly what hops were used based on taste and aroma. The fuck? He, he, he was just someone who absolutely trained his palate to do this. It's, it's How do you not train a, your palate to do something like that? That's crazy. You, you, you drink a lot of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't just shotgun it and chug Bush Light or Coors Light all the time. You mm -hmm. actually drink other beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I've actually, um, you know, I definitely got a really, you know, because when I started working for this company, I knew one thing about beer. I liked to drink it. Um, <laughs> and I, I really walked away with this, like, much broader and more, I guess, finessed appreciation for what a craft brewery does and yeah. how they go making beer and sort of the like applied chemistry it takes to actually make beer and kind of the experimentation and artistry it takes to make beer. I actually got to, you know, be, get pretty well well acquainted with a brewery in New York called Iconic. Um, they make they're they're one of the best in the city. They operate out of Court Square, 
But um, back when they were a lot smaller, working off of a smaller system, they had their tap room literally across the street from the warehouse I worked at. So, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So me and, uh, me and my work buddy, Nick, we were like, you know, we were regular pillars of that establishment. Um, when, they were, when they were moving to a larger location, they said, hey, the, the bar stools are going to be like Central Park benches. People who have spent a lot of time there just get their name Get, get their, their name, name on the <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it's like as if, as if my ass doesn't have an imprint in one already you know <laughs> yeah. dude but, having um, having that uh like go-to bar in new york city for me was i it's re- i fucking love it because it as like this place can be really fucking expensive and it's um oh, yeah. i think the the comfortability it's like a lot of the bars here just it's so fast paced. It's not really chill. I love when I like found Bedford and the Wayland, and it's like those are my go to where people know who I am, which obviously oh, yeah. go to the bar too much. But it's that you know that little cheers feel to it. I think in New York kind of really helps out with shit. And exactly. It's fucking. It makes the city a little easier because you know after day you're like oh let's go to let's go to my my bar and then you know you talk to the bartenders you feel comfortable. It's yeah, it's and you get some free drinks. And that's the that's what we're all trying to do. Just get free drinks. Oh, uh, when I was at Bedford, like they um <laughs> we I'm sitting there just kind of chilling alone and then this the owner comes up like Dustin, do you like peanut butter? And I go, dude, if you're about to hand me a jar of peanut butter right now, I'm gonna eat the whole fucking thing. I fucking love peanut butter, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he it was that uh screwball whiskey. Have oh. you had that? I fucking, so he goes, I want you to try something. So he fucking just poured me a glass of that screwball whiskey and I drank it. The fucking greatest shit I've ever had in my fucking life. And he let me take the bottle home. I'm like, fucking, you're the real man here, bro. So it, it pays to frequent a bar a lot, man. It's oh, it, fucking nice. Like, in dividends, I, I actually frequented this place iconic to the point of where I became such a regular that they did a brew day out where they, you know, have their system set up. So I spent a uh, Saturday um, one weekend with another work friend of mine and we helped them make like 125 gallons of this Saison. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. So I got like this very firsthand um, experience in making beer, which was very cool. Was that uh, your first job when you came into New York, Drew, for acting and stuff? Was that kind of your, like, go-to day job? Or was it, like, oh, the first yeah. one you had? Absolutely. I, I, so I moved to New York in September of 2017. And um, it just so happened – so this country was – this company, sorry. Uh, this company was originally uh, a West Coast company. They oh, were okay. found – like San Francisco, I want to say. And right around when they, I moved here, they just so happened to have opened up their East Coast branch of operations. Wow. So it was, it was kind of just like this happy accident that I found them, you know, job hunting. And, you know, I started there part-time. Um, I started on the pack line, literally, you know, putting – all this beer in boxes. Yeah, them- I, you would post like uh, things on social media about it. I'm like, that seems kind of cool. And I would probably try to steal some of that shit, but that's, I like that. Continue. Uh, trust me, I got that. I mean, that job paid for itself in the amount of beer I got to drink. <laughs> I absolutely 
really had an amazing time working with that company. Um, I learned a whole mess of just life skills. They put me in a position where I could be a leader. They put me in positions where I got to, you know, you know, help make important decisions and help sort of like, you know, look at the company and say, this is who we are and this is what we do. I was, you know, I, I sort of made a name for being the guy who would like get shit done over yeah, here. Which and is a great skill to have and learn. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's really fun when like the CEOs and founders of a company know you personally and they know they can rely on you. So yeah. I took, uh, I took a lot of pride in that. I, they, I wore a lot of hats for them. I, so I started just in daily operations at their warehouse in Queens and they ended up doing a bit of a lateral move with me to the point of, to where I was doing some warehouse management stuff as well as working on the customer service team and actually like communicating with customers and like doing social media stuff. And I rewrote the entire FAQ page on the website. There you go. So it was, it was fun to do that stuff. I think if there's anything that I appreciated uh, the most from that company, it's that, you know, they recognize that they're like, listen, we get it. This is your job, not your career. And they were in full support of the whole acting thing. And they made it work for me where it's like, where I would just, you know, talk to my manager and be like, listen, I booked a last minute audition. Can I like, you know, scoot out of here a little early for my lunch break to go off and do that. And they're just like, absolutely. So that's, that's like one of the most important things um, in, in New York with being an actor is finding that right day job for you. And like, and also like, Drew, if you remember in college, that wasn't, that's not a job we were told to go look for when, no. you know, when you're looking for like an acting day job, it's the typical, oh, I'll be a waiter, a bartender, no, no, no. It's things like that. And I always remember, um, being just because I graduated on our friend group and people would ask me like, Hey, how's the day job? I'm like, you have to find the one that works for you. The job that goes well with you, that you're comfortable at, that is still paying you well enough to survive in this fucking crazy ass city. But saying that you need the certain job because this is the only job that works, which I do think a lot of actors that I know yeah. feel like they can only stick in that realm, which that realm is fine. That realm is great. But not everybody wants to do that. And that's also not the only thing that's out there. And like you said, you found a job that wants to work with you and that is trying to help you and knows, hey, we know you want to do this. Isn't, this is your job and this isn't your career, but we're going to make it positive and going to help you out, which is really beneficial and really awesome that you had that when you moved here. Oh, yeah. It was an amazing experience working there. And like you said, it's not something that like – you know, you look at us actors and are like, go look at these heavy manual labor jobs for a startup <laughs> company. Um, yeah. Like, I saw what they were doing there, and it's just like, fuck it, craft beer, I can get behind this. And, you know, <laughs> I can roll was, with that. I can, I'm, I'm just like, I am all for this, you know? I got a lot of actor friends work there with me. You, you know? did, because I, I do remember in our, like, seeing somebody do that, which is, an awesome thing and saying, Hey, 
why no the job hunt can really suck. Especially being from Nebraska like we are, it's such a big culture shock. New York, I don't know if it was for you, but it was a huge shock. Like, if I didn't have a job as fast as I did, I would have, I don't know what I would have done. And trying to help, being able to help somebody and have um, your, your mindset and wanting to help them and being able to help them find a work like, hey, even if you don't stick with this, this can, I can get you this job for however long you need it until you find whatever, which is really yeah. awesome. So kudos to you, Drew Valaika. Hey man, I'm, I'm just trying to keep the family fed. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, uh, you know, I just, I had, I know I'm lucky to know a lot of really hard workers yeah. and, you know, I, I joked a lot with, you know, my managers and I was like, so does, am I like, can we get like a plaque that just says Drew Valaika, East coast recruiting officer? Um, <laughs> Cause I, I brought in like, I want to say like four people. Oh, you even you had a the our last guest on the podcast, Chase. He worked with you. You got him a job. Chase and I like would work side by side a lot, Um, (laughs) and it's like like we'd yuckle we'd yuck it up all the all the time, and it's just like you know just never we would never stop talking and like and you know I'm pretty sure people were like, well these chuckle fucks shut up for five. (laughs) Hey, that's what happens when you bring college friends into a fucking workspace, man. What do you fucking want from us? Um, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it took me a month to find that job. Like, you know, I took, like, my when I first moved to the city, I took two weeks. That's like, I live in New York. I'm kind of just going to, like, dick around for a little bit. Um, you know, I very distinctly remember, I was the first person to move into my apartment at the time. We had a... I was living with a, I was living with a friend, and a friend and one of, like a friend of one of her friends, um, and I was like the first person who was like got in, got their stuff, moved in. I'm standing in like my empty kitchen, and it's like, guess I do the actor thing now. And uh, <laughs> dude, it's a weird thing. That first time being in an apartment, the empty apartment in New York City, it's just this yeah mind fuck, honestly everything's empty you don't have shit and you're like well i guess i gotta do like you said god go do the acting thing now so yeah acting in new york how so you were applying for auditions how long was it for till you got your first uh gig per se or whatever it was when you were when you moved here like when i like how long before i actually started beating the pavement for auditions or when did i get my first show when did you get your first show but yeah go ahead and talk about all that man whatever yeah um I ended up like starting to audition right away. It was just a matter of like, you know, applying for shit. My did first. Did you find few- it? Did you find it hard to um, get into the? Because New York, you had moved. Um, you moved straight from Nebraska, right? Yeah, straight. Because I'm from- forgetting what year you graduated. You graduated the year after me, correct, Drew? I don't fucking remember. I'm too old now. I graduated in 2015. <laughs> You were two years ahead of me. Ah, okay. Well, you know, let's calm down. I'm fucking, I'm fucking 18. So let's just, let's just fucking say that. No, but yeah, um, you weren't living in another city. Like you kind of went right to New York, correct? That was your big city. Like after getting ready to act, you're like, I'm moving to New York. Yeah. And you just kind of hit it. Yeah. I kind of just, I came out and I just decided to like, you know, you kind of, you, it's very odd. It's like, there's never like a perfect time to just start. It's like, you okay. just, you just have to start. You have to go. So I started going on auditions and within about, 
two weeks, I had booked two shows. Um, awesome. And I started right then. You know, it was, I definitely came in with the attitude of, listen, I just want to get some New York theater under my belt. I'm, you know, I'm not going to like say it's, you know, I'm not going to say like I either get a union show or bust. I, I just put myself out there and I started making connections. I started, uh, you know, I just, I started acting. I actually came to New York at the time I had applied for and ended up making it into a um, acting class with oh, a, nice. yeah, I worked with a really great teacher by the name of Brian McManaman who absolutely kicked my ass yeah. in, the best way, in the best way possible. Um, and it was, was very- Was it one of those, hey, everything you fucking thought you knew in Nebraska, throw that shit out the fucking window? Was one of those? Exactly. Or was it, is that what it was? Hey, mm. Nebraska boy. No. <laughs> he just, he, I mean, that, what that class did is it took everything I had done in college and it kind of took it to a next level where- I just, I don't, you know, it took me to this level of where I just don't have to think as hard. Um, okay. And it just, it kind of pushed me outside of my comfort zone and outside of my box of how I thought of like my thought process when approaching a did role. You, did you think like you, you thought too much with acting roles? Like when you were in college Absolutely. and stuff, right? you kind of overthought Absolutely. them in a sense. Uh, oh, oh. Our, one of our favorite acting instructor, Joan Corti, would absolutely just, you know, she just would beat it into me. Stop fucking thinking, Drew. <laughs> I, I, I'd be talking and I, I, you know, we'd be like talking and debriefing and trying to like wrestle through something. And she's like, can you just, you know, sim take everything that you're like trying to say, take all the $3 words out and just simplify it into yeah. like something actionable. Um, I think I'm literally maybe the opposite where I may not think enough half the time and I just yeah. do shit, which, you know, it's nice to find that's a good medium. Oh, that's just, that's just instincts, which are so important. Yes. But I also just, there's certain things like, I don't know, dude, I, I'm not, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm just doing it. But I, so this acting teacher that you had uh, in New York kind of got you away from thinking that way a little bit or or molding yeah. that into a better um, acting knowledge or whatever. I can't think really of just, words. I mean, first off, you know, my undergrad experience really helped with that in terms of like getting me to just not think, um, you know, it's definitely something that I continue to work on, but I've definitely found a way to go with, I've, I've always been learning how to like go with my gut more and just trust instinctually, you know, instinctually, the first, like, what I usually first want to try to do is usually the best route to go about it. And, you know, I think a lot of my process comes from that, like, inner critic that, you know, every artist, no matter what, you know, medium you work through has to fight against. Yeah, um, for sure. And, you know, working with Brian, he just, he helped me to find, like, what my character wanted in very new and exciting ways. Um, and I was working with some really, really talented actors. I, you know, I had, I moved to New York 10 days before the first, like, week of classes. 
And yeah. I, I already felt like the new kid in school, you know, if that yeah. wasn't enough. Here I am walking into this room with a lot of like really talented actors. And I'll never forget, because what Brian had us do the first day is he had us get up in front of everybody and he would kind of ask us some questions and um, dig, dig kind of deep with us to a certain extent. And I remember he just said, Drew, congratulations. He knew, I, I had had to like FaceTime in um, my meeting with him about the class originally because I hadn't even moved to New York yet. Oh, so he, wow. he knew I was very, very green to New York living. Um, and I remember he said, Drew, congratulations to moving to New York. Uh, how many days have you been here? And I just, I look at him and like 11 other actors and I just say, I have lived here for 10 days, <laughs> which absolutely everybody thought was wild. And um, very quickly, I had a lot of people who really wanted to sort of like help me get my feet planted a lot of people who were like very generous with advice and were very encouraging in terms of hearing that I was starting to, you know, book work and like, you know, go through the process of doing, you know, starting my career in New York. So that's nice that they were wanting to be helpful because, you know, that's sometimes oh, yeah. this business can be very shitty for lack of a better term or cutthroat as it is. And some people are like, nah, figure it out. But it's nice that you had um, some guidance with all that from your people in your class. That's pretty awesome to have. Yeah, I, I've, I very quickly like knew that I wanted to sort of, you know, obviously there's, we've got tons of former classmates who live in New York, but I knew that we I also definitely- have a lot that are leaving now too, which is- We do. Which is kind of we crazy. Do. Not to, I'm not going to say any of their names, but anyway, but like there's, it's a fucked up time right now. It's, it is not an, as if it was never easy to be an actor. This is, it's (laughs) even, it's even tougher to be an actor now. Like what made you want to um, come back to New York? Cause you went back to Nebraska. Like I finally did as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And what was your thought process with coming back to New York city during all this time? Um, I mean, it was. It was very interesting because I spent a solid two months back in Lincoln, um, kind of waiting out the worst with my family. Um, And I went through a myriad of like thoughts about it. I'm like, I could go back to New York and do this thing. I could literally, you know, take a knapsack stuff it with supplies and just like you know disappear into the backwoods of montana never to be heard from again <laughs> um, i really re-fucking start over restructure your whole life over honestly I, I i could absolutely go off the grid and no one would know where i went um so i'm just like you know i i kind of had to really wrestle with what i wanted to do and to a certain extent you know i had a lot of things that offered security in my life sort of, you know, really straight up pulled out from under me. Um, And I kind of decided like, well, you know, you don't often get to start your life over again. So in a very big way, I came back to New York under the philosophy of I, you know, I'm starting from square one, basically again, you know, um, 
And in some ways I am, and in some ways I'm not. You know, I know the city far, far better now. I know, you know, I know the attitude it takes to sort of, you know, kind of like preserve your sanity when living here. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of, you know, great connections, great colleagues, great friends in the city as well. So I know I've, I'm walking back into like a really good support network. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I'm no longer working the same job I've worked for two and a half years that yeah. has really sort of been my income yeah. uh, in New York. So that's a huge thing I have to figure out. Um, I had at the time I had some very, very good friends that were, um, potentially going to be moving for work. And that was a heavy blow for me because they were people I saw on a, you know, pretty regular basis and were, you know, you know, so that's, that's another thing, but you know, everything has sort of just ended up working out, you know, one of the great, I mean, one of the great part things I left, uh, with before, COVID was is that the company I work for taught me a whole mess of life skills and um, it's you know it's just a matter of kind of just literally putting my name out there and trying to find work yeah I mean if there wasn't a time to double down on my artistic stuff that I want to do uh, it's like I'm, I'm not going to get that time again yeah so that, that's that is true to try to find I think I, I struggled with that the first when this whole COVID madness did happen. I kind of uh, didn't use that time like I should have with creating and doing stuff. But like, again, the time where you don't, you can't go anywhere. You're not supposed to go anywhere. You're not necessarily working every day. Like I used to work basically 60 hours a week or whatever. And exactly. not having that, having this time to actually like as artists, I mean, like, I'm going to write, I'm going to do this. Um, You've been, learning bass correct uh that or I'm, working on it or working on it more you're always posting fucking videos of you playing that bass or whatever i mean i've been playing bass for two years now yeah. so it's the time that uh, the extra time i have now has definitely allowed me to um really you know have give have me have no let me have no excuses in picking that thing up every day yeah and, um playing it so i've really sort of stretched out and broadened my skill set in playing it so that's been really fun and exciting that's awesome i like uh the analogy of thinking of starting over again i i, I really like that i guess i haven't thought of it as much like it's still a chance to start over i really like that i think that's um beneficial for a lot of people but it's uh as it is, it's a scary time right now, and as we don't know when the acting and arts are going to pick up. And I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I miss Nebraska a shit ton. It was really hard for me to even leave to come back here, and I was like, oh, fucking, I'm driving a four-wheeler in the middle of fucking nowhere, and I'm like, God, this is who I am as a person way yeah. more, which is weird. Um, did you always want to go to New York? Uh, it's funny. I spent, like, a solid maybe two and a half years telling myself that I was going to go the Chicago route and mm-hmm. move out to Chicago for a while and take a look at that game. But my senior year happened and senior year at Wesleyan, it was the year that we did the New York spring break trip to um, work with some casting directors, go to workshop oh, yeah. and stuff. And I went on that trip. And it had been years since I had really visited New York City. And it 
I pretty much very, very quickly within like my, you know, within like my second or third day of being on this spring break trip said, if I'm going to do this thing, this is where I'm going to need to be. And that's interesting, man. Yeah. Like, so like two months before graduation, I like completely scrapped my original. I I scrapped (laughs) my original idea and I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm going to move to New York now. And it, it really worked out. I found great roommates and, you know, rest is history. Yeah. That's uh that's because again we did that trip my my senior year is when we did that too and i remember that was my first time that was my first time on a fucking plane let alone new york city oh yeah it was the whole thing everyone was like adam tried to tell me that the plane was going to land in the ocean or some shit um everyone was fucking with me but it's always it was always it's always a fun little tidbit but like i i was freaked the hell out when i got here that first trip I didn't, I was like, nope, not me. This is not where I'm at. And I remember, you know, my girlfriend at the time was like, this is where she wanted to go. Everyone, a lot of my friends were. And I was just like, nah, dude, I, (laughs) this just freaks me out. Now, and I remember our good friend, Greg Roderick, um, he pulled me aside and he like knew I was not about it. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to me. You're kind of geeking out. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, listen to me you're in Times Square all week. There's other parts of New York City. Don't judge it off of that, um, which was very good advice. But I, I was like, nope, not moving to New York. This is not my thing or anything. And, um, and, and the thing is, is that when you go to visit, it is so different from when you're actually like living there and like taking yeah. the train every day and are, you know, commuting around like you see so much more than just times square yeah you know taxis blaring every fucking two seconds which is still a fucking thing but you know my my parents visited me my first summer out here and they had never really ever been to new york i think my mom my mom used to travel to new york but like that was back in like the 80s so very different new york um today and uh I remember taking them to Times Square, and they're just very nonplussed by it. So, <laughs> like, my they're just like, "All right, this is a bit of sensory overload. We can go now." Um, <laughs> but the nice part is, is that when you do live here and like you have relatives visit, you know, you personally have all of your favorite like hole in the wall spots yeah. that you do like share with them, and you know, it's very different than just going to New York and you know, kind of flying by the seat of your pants, um, not knowing anybody who actually lives there. Yeah. It's, it's very, visiting and living here are two, two different animals. Two different fucking animals, man. But I'm here and I've been here three years. Don't know how the fuck that even happened, but you know, Hey, I just remember one day I was in Chicago and I just go, all right, I'm moving to New York. And everyone's like, what? I'm like, nah, just want to, and it was like the scariest fucking thing I ever did. But I've I, lived here for three and a half years. I'm I'm celebrating three years uh, come September. So oh shit, man! Cheers. That's fucking awesome. I also uh, the three years is like a big deal to me because I was always told from numerous people it was like you have to give it three years. Three years for some reason was I was always said to me was like a a, a big benchmark to yeah. Um, 
like knowing like you've lived here you've went through all this stuff you've put roots down you've given yourself time because a big thing in New York is giving yourself time things are not there right away it's too I mean yeah especially you know I had done a lot of visits as well not a lot but enough to like kind of appreciate the adrenaline Mm-hmm. of New York um but it did take me a while to sort of get kind of find my groove with that but yeah um the one thing I was all I was told when I first moved here is like you've got two years to say that you're new um get the fuck over it Figure yeah it yeah yeah <laughs> I, it's like I can't milk that shit anymore yeah so I'm, yeah I'm bummed. oh I'm still a little new yeah I remember <laughs> After some point, I think I said that after a year though, and someone was like, Dustin, shut up. <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh, I'm here. But it is true, like what that two year mark, people are like, Yeah, I don't ever want to hear you fuck say that ever again. No, no, right. get the fuck over it. Live your fucking life. Get the fuck out. You've lived in three apartments and had five jobs. Like get the, you know, get over yourself. I wouldn't say you're new anymore, man. Fucking you know how to if you don't know how to use subway, get out of here. Which was yeah, other yeah, thing. Yeah. I, again, thought the subway was going to be a pain in the ass. Subway makes a lot of sense to me. Doesn't mean I fucking like it, but it's, you know, it's easy. I don't have to worry about driving drunk or anything like that. No. So it's, it's good. I like, like, having to drive feels like a chore at this point because I'm so integrated to public transit. That's true. It's like, I, I in when the subway runs, it runs, I'll... I'll say that much, but it's nice. It's it's nice to just like be able to like sit and read a book or a magazine and still get to where you're going. That's true. So, like, yeah, you kind of be I your... do feel like the subway is good in that sense of like yeah. you can multitask to a degree. That is a that is a good point. I do miss, of course, always miss the driving in your car with whatever music, and you're just the, you're alone for that ten minutes. Before we have to yeah. go to work, and you can kind of, I, I I need that time. And as much as you, I I'm I'm always gonna have my headphones on the subway. If my headphones are not charged or ready, I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. I am not the one that wants to talk on the subway. I've seen friends on the subway, and I've walked the other way because I'm like, I don't. I have nothing to do with you. I just don't want to talk. I'm not. I don't like it. Like especially in the morning. I'm like, nah, dude, I need the music in my ears. I need to not be around as many people. And I just want to put my head down and get ready for this day. I, I was, I'm that guy in New York City. So when you were, a, I think it was freshman. Is freshman year when you went to Moscow? Mm-mm. Was it sophomore year? I, well, it was a sophomore year because you were, you only went, did you, you, st- you went and studied abroad in college, whenever the hell that was. To uh, so, Moscow and Russia, right? Yes. I So the way the Moscow story goes is sophomore year, I was taking a class with the genius J. Scott Chipman. And uh, it was all uh, based around Konstantin Stanislavski and sort yes. of his life's work and the, you know, sort of American teachers that um, – branched off from his original method and I was really digging this class and one day I get this email from Jay um, about this program done through an organization called the National Theater Institute 
which is does these conservatory sessions for all sorts of things. They do them for writers, musical theaters. You'll love this. Um, National Theater Institute has this has a campus um, in Connecticut. Lin Manuel Miranda actually uh, he he workshop he workshopped in in the Heights. Hey. So there's like there's like photos of him at like a keyboard um, from his like time there, workshopping this musical, but um they've had this so, National Theater Institute has had this program, um where they have a partnership with the Moscow Art Theater School, which is of course the school, Konstantin Stanislavski founded, um and they have a partnership where it's like we will send these American students from all across the country, to learn under your teachers and staff and to experience Russian theater and art. Um, and so with a little prodding from Jay, who sort of in Jay fashion told me to, you know, man up and apply. Um, <laughs> I applied and I got in and I went to, I was in Moscow. Wow. All the way back in 2015 from uh, September to December. So my whole fall junior year, I was in Russia. And were you mostly studying the Stanislavski method? There was, a, it was a very broad range of subjects that we did. It was very, it was very Stanislavski method in that sense, because a lot of, you know, a lot of Stanislavski's philosophy was, is to make you this well-rounded artist, both physically and mentally. So oh. I was doing ballet. I was doing Drozny movement, which for those of you that don't know, is basically the love child of partner acrobatics and yoga. Um, I, I was. That. It's Fucking crazy. I, we would do jackknives and my forehead was touching my shins. I was oh. using... I, I was using muscles I did not know I had. It, <laughs> our teacher's name was Vlad. He was like six feet tall and just like a very happy. And he knew that we were just like absolutely killing ourselves trying to like do these like very physically demanding exercises. Um, but I was also studying Russian theater, Russian theater history, Russian theater design. Um, I worked, you know, I worked on, you know, uh, singing and, you know, stage combat. Um, and so we had all of these classes intermixed, but every day you had your acting class. Mm -hmm. And every teacher at um, Mechat is kind of the abbreviated um, title of the school. Every teacher there sort of has their own take on the method. And so you sort of work with their vision and their take. And it, I really had incredible, two incredible teachers, um, Sergei and, um, oh God. Bob Saget. Ivan. Huh? Was it Bob Saget? But I, Bob, that was a oh, joke. It was Bob Saget? That was a joke, Drew, Jesus. I know Bob Saget I, wasn't I, there. I know, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm Look at me I'm like just, fucking, I'm just, I'm, wait, what, Dustin? Are you that dumb? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm leading, you're the host. I'm leading off you. 
Anyways. <laughs> God. Um, for so people that don't know how, I know. Um, for people that don't know, could you explain the Stanislavski acting method or what the, um, what is it? So the Stanislavski method is actually very much unusable today. <laughs> um, is it really? Uh, it's, it's not something that, any, it's not something that any actor really uses in depth, uses as the entire sort of like practice but the thing about Stanislavski and the reason we talk about Stanislavski today is because the reason we talk about acting and the reason we study acting like we do is all because of the work that he did you know um mm -hmm. theater at the time when Stanislavski was growing up was coming all out of French melodrama and so Stanislavski's big thing is there's got to be a way to like make this more true to life and so his life's work ended up becoming finding ways to get at, you know, truth and, you know, or, you know, quote unquote, or stage. And so that's all of what his methodology came down to was extracting that from the actor. Um, and there's a very long history in terms of like, you know, things he started with versus the evolution of the method versus the American teachers like Stella Adler, um, uh, Sanford Meisner, and, uh, oh, Strasberg. People, Americans like that who took the method, founded the group theater, made their own thing out of it, you know? I'm, I'm very much against the idea of method acting or being a method actor. Yeah. I feel like each actor individually makes their own method like you i would know, agree with that yeah we've got you know there's so so many like books and like you know practices and schools of thought out there for acting that you really just have to like you know take everything with a grain of salt find the stuff that works for you and kind of just assemble your own toolkit pretty much that's a great way to put that drew that's i totally wholeheartedly agree with that actually so I think studying or just basing thing off one method or saying, this is how you do it. I, I think every act, everyone does things differently. The way I approach a role is completely different the way you would approach a role, but doesn't make any of it invalid. It's just, everyone has their own thing and people share, like picks parts off of things that work or whatever, but yeah. Exactly. I mean, for me, the re you know, my favorite part about, you know, taking acting classes, working with other artists who come from, you know, different methodologies, different, you know, different takes on, you know, getting to their, you know, best sort of performance is, you know, really learning how I can stretch myself and, you know, what I can take from that. Yeah. Um, and in going to Moscow, I, I truly developed a, huge appreciation for the fact that you know Constantine walked so that theater could run you know <laughs> in the 21st century you know you you learn to appreciate all the history that went into you know Russian theater which is you know birthplace of modern theater I 
I was going to like, I was seeing like four different shows a week in Russia. Um, yeah. And it, it absolutely, it absolutely blew my mind. And you know, you know, that good old student ID got me in a lot of places. (laughs) Uh, and so like, I just, I developed this huge appreciation for all of that. And of course, you know, half of the reason I went to Russia is because I, you know, my first two years at Wesley and I actually really, really fucking hated Chekhov. And I, I, I didn't get it, but after, you know, being able to do that program and, you know, sort of encounter Chekhov as an author in a way that most people don't have the privilege to do, I gained this brand new perspective on just theater and acting in general. Um, I, you know, I, I grew, I grew so much as an actor and I grew so much more as just like a person. Um, mm-hmm. Really, I was, I know you definitely, when you take yourself out of like everything that like, you know, and are like comfortable with, and you put yourself in this entirely new situation with people you've never met before, um, you learn so much about yourself. Oh, and yeah, you, really, you really get in touch with like parts of yourself that like, you did not know were there and you just like it it was it was one of the biggest learning learning processes of my life and it all happened within 90 fucking days oh fuck it was only 90 days shit it was it was about months yeah months dude i think uh that's really important putting yourself in uncomfortable situations uh teaches you how to get out of it and teaches you how to make something happen when nothing's there that you don't know and being uncomfortable is some is the ways that you have to grow. Um, I mean, it teaches you how to adapt. It yeah. teaches like how to like find your groove in a situation you've never been in before. Um, which is such, which is, I think if I had to pick like the number one thing as an actor, I think being adaptable is in my eyes, it one, if not one of the top, like just being adaptable to any situation and even in life, being able to adapt to anything and make it work is a skill set that I find very important in theater and in life also. But absolutely, I think especially as an actor, I think it's very, very helpful. And yeah, absolutely. some people are it's- so stuck on certain things and they just don't want to and they choose not to change or won't go along with it or. It's not what they think in their head, so I'm not going to do it. But it's like, well, I may not agree or think of this either. Like, this is not how I would do it, but yeah. I'll make it work. And if it either works or it doesn't work. I think actors, especially nowadays, have learned to adapt. Like, Zoom theater has become its own genre at this point. I haven't seen any Zoom theater. I've seen, like, cabarets being done on Zoom, but I guess I haven't seen, like, a full production. Have you seen, like, a full production being done on Zoom? Um, a lot of like staged readings almost. Yeah. Um, I did, I actually am very fortunate to be a part of a group called the International Shakespeare Players. And about once a week, once every two weeks, we do a staged reading of a Shakespeare play. And I've been doing that since like March. Oh, that's uh, awesome. And yeah, I was going to, I have, I was going to bring that up. So yeah, you've been able to constantly been doing Shakespeare, kind of have that performance aspect 
throughout this whole quarantine stuff. Yeah, I've, uh, it's, it's absolutely been a lifesaver and has like allowed me to sort of keep my chops up mm -hmm. when I can't like go out and do auditions um, yeah. in the way that I'm used to. Um, plus, you know, as an actor, if you can tackle Shakespeare, you can tackle just about anything, honestly. Oh. Um, and I had not worked with Shakespeare since like my senior year of college. So to be able to like wrestle with the language on, you know, a regular basis and like go through scripts, you know, and like, you know, work on these lines has, you know, absolutely like stepped up my game in when was the, the first time you did a shakespeare show when was like your first shakespeare show you ever did it it would have been midsummers my freshman year that was your first time that was my first ever shakespeare show that's actually my first ever one too it was in high school midsummer night's dream and i i, I remember being very afraid because i never really was an act i was literally i didn't play football that year and um, I remember the theater teacher was like, Dustin, you need to be doing this show. And he's like, I want you to be in. And I was like, Sh and Shakespeare, like in my head in high school, I'm just like, oh, that guy? Oh, no. Yeah, Dude, those yeah. words are weird. I don't want to say things like that. I don't, ugh. Um, but I remember he cast me as Demetrius. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do this. I almost quit. And then ended up doing it and did the exact same role in college, too, that, that year when we did that show together. I meant to tell you, we, the last show I read for was Midsummer, and I played Demetrius. Dude, Midsummer though, those lines are the easiest to memorize. Oh, yeah. Granted, I've done it twice now, and I was like, the second time I did, I was like, dude, I remember these lines still. I had that fear with it when I first started with the language. Mm -hmm. I personally feel like my, um, I don't overthink it. I think has helped me out a lot with Shakespeare. Oh yeah. Not having that voice. I've, I was always in the Shakespeare show in college. I did Shakespeare was like the biggest shows I did when I moved to New York city. Um, oh I, yeah. You, you had a, you had a laundry list of Shakespeare productions you did when you moved here. Oh yeah. I did um, much ado about nothing. And then I did Pericles, which is the weirdest fucking show I've ever fucking read in my life. Oh, that's a, yeah, it's an it's odd one. Fucking it's, a, it's an odd one. It's fucking weird, dude. Um, but yeah, I, I really now it's like strength. I would say Shakespeare's like a strength of mine, which is weird to me because I, I, I guess I don't, I don't consider myself like I would, but I, it understand it. There's some people that like really get whatever. I still have to do a couple like. I'll do the fucking, um, what's that? What's that? Like, shake, no fear Shakespeare. I like to have little, like, oh, that's what it is. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But it's uh, yeah, a lot yeah. more natural to me now. But what's your favorite Shakespeare show? Ooh, I love Much Ado About Nothing. That, that, that is most, fucking awesome. that is most certainly my favorite. Um, I like a lot of different ones for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But that's always stood like head and shoulders. Like if I could do a Shakespeare show right now, that's the one I do. That'd be the one. I would. Uh, mine is probably Merchant. Merchant. I, I love Merchant of Venice. Love Merchant of Venice. Merchant of Venice is that Shylock character is a role I will probably never ever play. But is like I've wanted. When we did that in college, um, yeah. 
I remember. That, that was the one Shakespeare show in my time at Wesley at Wesleyan that um, I did not do. Oh, um, really? Really, but that that show stands out as one like everything about that show stands out as being one of like my top shows I ever got to watch uh, strictly as an audience member. Oh, it's um so intense. I remember funny story with that. I obviously we were in tutelage of the dramaturg uh, Dr. Kudnyard. Um, shout out to him. You probably don't listen to this podcast, but you know hey. Um, <laughs> Um, he straight up just email this clip of you shouting him out. That's yeah. all you <laughs> That's what I'll do. I'll be like, hey, he'll hook him. He'll like, you know, <laughs> then he'll start. He'll listen to every one of the episodes and we'll be, we'll be big time. Um, he, I remember my senior year because all the Shakespeare shows I did was I was always playing the love character and mm-hmm. I was sick and tired. I was like, dude, I want to do fucking something different. And it was also yeah. when we, did in the heights and shit too but i remember going into that audition and i wrote down shylock and then i said anything but the love character and then cunyard was very upset with me (laughs) him and jack were like um dustin why what i'm like i'm not trying to be a diva i'm just saying all i i need something different they're like you're not really a shylock i'm like i don't care I, I could be evil. <laughs> Obviously, my best friend. I could be douchey, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I remember then, so they were like, all right. So I remember talking to him because they, then they cast me as the the really, really old guy that's in one scene. The Duke, yeah. The Duke. And I would just sit in the back all fucking, that show was so long. I would just sit in the back doing nothing till my He's one like- scene. The Duke is like in the ending scene, and that's yeah. about it. <laughs> in the court scene. Junior <laughs> and Jack are just like you. You get what you ask for. Yeah, bud. that's what he, he's like. He, I remember him going, "Well, I wanted to cast you as Bosinio, but uh, now you're the Duke." So, <laughs> and I go, he goes, "You said you wanted something different." I'm like, "Hey, old guy is different, so I'll take it. I'll be the old man." Um, I very much remember. Probably my crowning Shakespeare achievement at Wesleyan was playing Baptista, the father, in um, Taming of the Shrew. Wait, when we are that class that we did? No, no, no. Um, that that was after I graduated, right? That was that was that the show. year after you had graduated. But like, yeah. I just I remember. I think I saw that yeah. one. I can't remember. Back in Doctor Kuhn, you just let me go balls to the walls <laughs> by just making this guy by just being old and like doing funny walk and shit like i i very much there like that was very much the point where i had solidified that i had stopped playing these like preteen characters and i'd gone out on to be the res- i had gone on to be the resident geriatric when like you know like <laughs> just like all right there's someone in this script that's over 60 years old Tell Velika to grow his beard out. <laughs> hey, that's fucking range, bro. It's it, it's really funny because working with um, international Shakespeare players, I started out doing a lot of the like villain roles. Um, Edgar, Malvolio, um, and a few others in there. But then I got transferred to these more love interest roles that are kind of like seedy characters like um, mm-hmm. Bertram, in uh all's well that ends well um proteus and two gentlemen of verona 
Um, and I remember, so like, I kind of made this very seamless transition from playing Shakespeare's villains to playing Shakespeare's fuckboys. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've never like the character that you root for, but to a certain degree, I love it because I just get to feed off people's hate yeah. uh, in the show and, and like, you know, ex in exchanging lines with them. So it's it's been very enjoyable. I love I love playing villains. Like no, I, I never get to play the villain, so you know maybe one day. Um, so we're we're talking about college now. So as everyone knows, I mean basically everyone that's been on this podcast. Well, I only have three four people, but uh, Drew and I went to college together. Um, two years younger than me, so yeah, I was a role model. It's whatever, everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you, you, you joke about that, but in a lot of ways, you were. <laughs> I, <laughs> I always respected your drive and your work ethic. Is oh, the thing. You know, like, I think actually the best, my, I, well, I have good work ethic, but I, I think actually I was, when I was looking at pictures of us, that Instagram post you posted of us when we had met up and you go, this dude is the definition of work hard, play hard. That is me to a fucking T. Work my ass off, but I'm fucking going all out and having a good fucking time. You, you no got matter what. I'm just like, you were just like a, it was, I always had to like prepare myself if I was ever like going out with you or like going to a party you hosted. Like it was like a physical and a psychological process <laughs> to like prep myself to like have always nice wanted people to have a good fucking time man i i always had a great fucking time with you dude hey that's fucking i appreciate that um i do want to say one of so we've done i don't know how many shows we've done together but um easy five the most memorable moment i've ever had on stage with you is you were part of my final show that i've ever done at college was that south pacific no 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 the one act that our good friend Stacy <laughs> directed. Do you remember that? Oh, oh God, keep going. I think I know so this So I, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the play, but I do remember that. What was it called? It was called Happy Sauce. Oh my God, yes, Happy Sauce. Now, the, I had a connection with this because Win, Winston, or I think my friend Winston and I and Scott did a scene with that our like sophomore year. But mm -hmm. Stacy, to her credit, decided to wait till her senior year and the very last moment to direct because she didn't want to direct at all. And for just, our acting just, program, she, we had, yeah, we all had to direct. Off to the last minute. Yeah, the definition. So I had kind of, I was in my senior run. I, you know, I did In the Heights. I did South Pacific. I've never been in a musical my entirety in college other than lifting that plant up and down when I was a fucking junior. But, um, and then I, I had just finished Trojan Women. So that was like going to be my last main stage. And then Stacy wanted, she goes, will you do a one act with me? And I go, Stacy, I'm a senior. I have no desire to be in a one act. I don't want to memorize these lines. Yeah. Um, but she, she basically begged me to do it. And I go, fucking fine. But I go, look at me. I'm improv like a motherfucker. <laughs> and she goes, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> um, but then I remember she, I was like, who are you casting, whatever, and then she said you, and I'm like, all right, that, that'll be fun, but I remember 
there was i don't remember what the lines were but i just remember i there was this one part in that show where you said something and the character is supposed to be lying i just go i would look at you and try to say the most fucked up thing i could think of in my head and just every time i would just say that to try to make you laugh like i think one of them was somewhere along the lines of like that statement you just said made my balls go inside my throat and come back out of my ass or just just dumb 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 shit and i was like that yeah, Stacey no, I did. Kept it together until <laughs> yeah it's, it's, i just kept trying that shit i remember jack yelled at her pulled me aside he's like you are lucky you're a senior i would have never cast you again i go yep i know <laughs> but peace but um, I just remember that, and that was what, that was my fondest memory of you on stage was just fucking around and not taking anything serious and just trying to make you. But you would. Be, I, remember, I wish you would do your classic. This thing. I still do that. I still yeah, do yeah. that. You, you you do like you did your classic like little hand move, <laughs> and um, there was some point where like I was thank God I was like turned upstage and I make eye contact with you and you you knew I had fucking broke <laughs> so like we're just looking each other in the eyes trying to keep our shit together oh my god yeah the definition of unfucking professionalism but you know hey uh, it was a I good time forgot about that I, I I remember that very fondly because it was one of the only cool things I just remember like well if I'm going out, this is how I want to go out. This is how I want to be remembered. Blaze of glory. Yep. <laughs> oh, I just remember just listening to the crowd laugh because it's like clear that it wasn't written, that it was just uh -oh. me saying shit. They're getting, like they're getting some Dustin Sutliff original material. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Our theater parties, way better than any frat party I ever went to in college oh, so many people tried to so many people from outside the theater department tried, tried to, to weasel their way into it to those parties yeah we were wild here's another debate you can help me settle for my dipshit friends that listen to this so my senior year do you remember the what our our my place was called panda pit panda pit right how many people did we get into that townhouse on those parties Oh, geez, we got, man, we had that thing wall to wall with fucking people. Like, easily, over, we've had over, 50 people in that 30, fucking, over 30 for sure. Um, my friends listening to this, Jake, Winston, Adam, and Scott, fuck yourselves. Because these guys lived above me in this townhouse. Now, the townhouse is in college for everybody. Uh, we're basically like big apartments. Um, four bedroom thing, four bedroom setup. You obviously were not allowed to have a party there. Um, we, the bear pit was a big thing, and you you experienced the bear pit as well. It was like the theater house and um, college where we would go to whatever. My senior year, it was still a thing, but it wasn't as much of a thing. It kind of wasn't, and there wasn't really a big theater like parties for there were parties for the theater people to go to. So then yeah. I remember when I moved into that townhouse, I go, all right, here's what's up. I want this to be the theater place. And I would spend, like, we would come up with the fucking names. But these fuckers were trying to tell me that we never had fucking more than 30 people in there. Yeah, we fucking did. We literally 
packed Hi. that townhouse. And I remember I would go around and watch for PAs, the people that were patrolled to make sure nothing oh, bullshit oh, was going on. Like every like 25, 30 minutes, like telling them like, shut the fuck up. Yep. And everyone having to like keep very quiet while someone snuck out and like literally scouted the halls. Yep. I would be outside watching drunk as shit, but I remember I'd always have someone on the inside. Nadia, actually, shout out to Nadia. Um, Nadia, not Nadia, Nadia. Nadia, I fucking, whatever. Um, Nadia? <laughs> Nadia. Nadia. Nadia, Jesus Christ. This verb is getting to me. Sorry, Nadia, if you listen to this. I didn't mean that. Um, I have another friend named Nadia, and I got confused. Um, but she would always be on the inside, like my little mole in the inside or whatever, and I would text her, be like, tell everyone to shut the fuck up. They're about to walk by the apartment now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to shut up, turn the lights off. So, like, we would have fucking, like, over 30, 30 to 50 people in this fucking townhouse. Right. Everyone would just shut the fuck up. Yeah. I would wait for them to leave, and i go, all right, we're good. And I remember I would go around to the townhouse, and I would talk to every person. i go, hey, you're invited. Please don't say shit. If it's too loud or bothering you, here's my number. And I would always, like, bribe them with shit. I fucking took care of that goddamn place. Do you remember the one that got busted? Dude, do I remember the one that got busted? Uh, that's like, man, that's like one of, that's like one of my favorite like anecdotes from it's, sophomore. Dude, is fucking. I, I was freaking out like when the PA came in. I walk into somebody's bedroom and I'm trying to find like a place to like hide, right? And suddenly I realize like, like there's two people under the bed. I can't get under bed. They're like, go find your own fucking spot. And. <laughs> I'm standing, I think it might have been your room, actually. Dude, there were literally, like, ten people hiding in my room when that PA came in. I, I, I'm standing in the middle of the room, and I look at the closet, and I'm like, there. I open, (laughs) I open the door. There's, like, six people already in there. And they just, we all just kind of look at each other like these deer in headlights. And the next thing, and, like, a split second later, there is just like a dozen hands reaching out to grab me and pull me into the closet. <laughs> and it's also one of the, here's the thing. I did not promote underage drinking, but we've all fucking done it. Um, <laughs> dude, I remember I never got in trouble for that. I tried no. to take as much blame. I remember I did t- say this on Chase's podcast, uh, Chase episode, but Alex Wolf, again, he literally we had to pour all the liquor out in front of the PA. I Oh, yeah, I remember. And we're pouring it out, and I'm standing with Alex Wolf, and Alex Wolf just starts chugging the liquor before he pours it out. He's like, well, what the fuck are they going to (laughs) do? So we're taking pulls of liquor back and forth while we're dumping everything out. But I remember, like, Miles, like, so many people got in trouble for that. But it's also Miles and Maggie's fault because they didn't do, like, it was, like, my, my last party my senior year. So right. I was, like, not on duty. They were, like, no, take this one off because I constantly, like, the only reason those things worked is because I had to, I was literally wa- looking out all the time for. You had your process down. Yeah, I had my whole process down. Um, but they didn't fucking do that because they're idiots. But, um, yeah, I remember, but I. <laughs> I felt so bad for the people that got in trouble, but they just never took my ID down and never heard anything from it. Never got in trouble. Jeez. Like, fuck, you know, 
And that's the luck of Dustin. That's the sometimes I I get pretty fucking lucky with shit like that. Get like I think my favorite show I've ever done with you was actually South Pacific. Dude, that show is. I thought I would hate that show, and that's probably one of my favorite shows ever, man. It was great. I I very much like remember that's when you and I really kind of like solidified our friendship. Yeah. And um. It was know, such a broy. Um, the way that the Greg who's on Broadway for doing that show. Um, oh yeah. He kind of made it just the the sailors just this broy connection I think and it really kind of connected a lot of people that even with being Absolutely. a senior I felt really close to a lot of those younger people I'll, on that show. I'll, really I'll, I'll never forget I'll never forget the time when like somebody asked like wait so we're like on a beach so would like a couple of us have like you know go out here shirtless and they were like and like Greg or Alan were like yeah not only a split second later, I turn around. Joe Hansen has like ripped, ripped off his shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, just like, I'm just like, okay, that was fast. <laughs> I'm actually recording with Joe next week. Um, but oh, that's, tell him hi for me. I no, will. Um, that's no, funny. Joe is, <laughs> Joe is one of my. Joe is easily one of my favorite human beings ever. We actually, oh, yeah. um, He's amazing. we actually about a year ago, peer pressured each other into getting tickets to a metal concert. And we ended oh. up, <laughs> we ended up we, like, we bought them six months in advance. Uh, and we went and we just had this great freaking time. Um, that boy goes hard at his shows. Fucking head banging like no other. Oh God, like he's like using my shoulders to like propel himself up in the crowd as like they're jumping up and down. Like, ah, uh, man, can... New York is New York is an amazing place to live for live music. Oh, it is. I have not been to too many uh, concerts. Are you a big live music concert fan? Have you been to like a lot in your um, lifetime anyway? I had a bunch of tickets reserved before COVID that all got canceled. Like, oh God. I saw, let's see, I've seen 21 pilots at Madison Square Garden. Oh, that's awesome. 21 pilots um, is incredible. Oh, their live show is insane. I absolutely, their live show is spectacular. Uh, the band I saw with Joe was is a Swedish metal band called Sabatone, and all of their songs are about, like, historic, like, historic wars. Um, so they're just a uh, riotous good time. Um... Back in no back in November, I saw Slayer. That was um, that was. Are these metal bands, Drew? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I listen to a lot of metal. I'm not. Uh, I'm not the big. I'm not a big metal fan, so I don't know as many. Yeah, um, metal is. Uh, I like a, quite a few different music genres. Metal's up there. Mm -hmm. um, if I have an absolute favorite musical genre, it has to be jazz. Um, oh really? Yes, yeah, sir. I did not know that. Yeah, jazz is. You're a, a jazz guy. Yes, yeah, sir. Jazz is a very special brand of music for me. Um, why is that? Just, say what? Why is that? Like, why is why is it special for you? So jazz actually came out of this very interesting fact in the warehouse of we liked to listen to music while we worked, but you know we're like talking about like work shit and like yelling for supplies 
and like handling things on the fly. So the last thing that you really need in that situation is like another voice to fight over on a stereo. So whenever someone kind of like passed me, you know, the reins of like the wireless um, speaker that we used, I'm just like, let's just listen to something upbeat and good. And I ended up, you know, discovering a lot of really incredible jazz music and New York of all places is the best place to get into jazz music because of the incredible history there is of musicians that have come and gone out of jazz clubs and just the jazz scene in general on the East coast. Mm -hmm. But um, jazz for me is this really, really rich music because it, 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 at the time it was revolutionary a lot like, so fun fact, bourbon is the only original American spirit that there is. Wait, no and shit? Absolutely. Bourbon is the only original Amer- liquor to ever come from America. What the fuck? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. What? And a lot like bourbon, a lot like bourbon, jazz is the only original music to music genre that America has ever really created. Um, at the time, like, you know. We didn't create country music? Is that what you're telling me? It's the only original. Every country has its own sort of like country music, though. Its own sort of like folk and stuff. Oh, okay. okay you know? Okay. I gotcha. But I, I get what you're going through. But for me, <laughs> jazz is like this very interesting genre because of how revolutionary it was at the time. You know, we think of it as being this very like old stuffy thing. But in a lot of ways, back in, you know, the 50s, this was like, you know, unheard of music that was like, you know, equated with being a drug addict, um, you know, criminal to an extent. And, you know, when you, you can look at a lot of different kinds of music and sort of track it in this like linear fashion. Mm-hmm. But with jazz, you can only do that to an extent. Like you have very early stages of it with Louis Armstrong, you know, Louis Armstrong then goes into Duke Ellington. Uh, Duke Ellington big band happens. You get guys like, then you get guys like Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker who are taking everything in these like double time 16th note riffs and doing these traditional chord changes in non-traditional ways. And then through these bands, you this is where things get very interesting is you get guys like Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Charles Mingus, um, Thelonious Monk, uh, you know, all of the sidemen that worked along them. You get piano masters like Bud Powell, McCoy Tyner. Um, uh, you get- Oh, so much. Incredible trumpet players like Lee Morgan. Um, you know, Paul Chambers, I think was a sideman and like probably half the jazz to come out of that decade. And then, you know, you get into the sixties and you get guys who do the freeform movement like Ornette Coleman. And then you get into the, you know, 70s, which you get jazz fusion happening with a lot of Latin American music and bossa nova. Um, You get bands like Weather Report and Jaco Pastorius, who was the greatest bass player to walk the earth. And it's just, it's, it becomes this really interesting web of different musicians working together and learning off each other. And each one sort of like rubbing elbows and like, you know, trading these schools of thought and the way that they're approaching these songs and this music. I've never heard somebody positively push for jazz like that. 
that's fucking awesome. You're like a sponsor, sponsor man for jazz music. I didn't know anything love, like that at all. I didn't know anything about that. I love jazz. For me, jazz is, jazz is so interesting because it's something that can be interpreted by the individual, especially if it's, you know, there are some great jazz vocalists out there. I mean, Nina Simone, Billie Halliday, uh, Chet Baker has a voice like Silk. Um, <laughs> and then you've got contemporary guys like Gregory Porter, who is, you know, incredibly powerful voice. So you've got great singers. But for me, I love strictly instrumental jazz. Because oh. for me, that is, you are listening to a human being talk to you through an instrument. And you listen to how much of their own heart and soul that they put into it. Um, you know, during quarantine, I've gone on a lot of sort of like, I just, I put, you know, put on my face mask, you know, I put on a hat, I put on my headphones and I put on my favorite, one of my favorite musicians of all time, John Coltrane. And the way Coltrane plays is this very nostalgic without being sentimental. Um, and it's, it's a brand of music that if you let it will touch you in very interesting ways in a way that no other form of music has for me. Um, and Dude, a lot I've of people wanted to listen to jazz music more in my life. Shit, man, I have albums on albums for you. Dude, and, you know, send them my way. I'll, I need to, I need some new shit in my life anyway. So absolutely. Jazz. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I've dug, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been playing bass for about two years now. And as I've sort of dug in deeper to, playing bass it's you know the you know jazz has definitely inspired me to really push and stretch the limits of what i can do musically through listening to this incredible music wow so that's what you like on your new york walks or on your way to the subway train you just usually have jazz in your ear headphones mm -hmm. Fuck. that's fucking awesome it's, i like see it's really i really like when people love a genre of music so much and they can really explain why they love it because then you can't judge it you can't say oh that music like if i i didn't care for jazz didn't really know anything about it but like when you hear someone that you're close to that's like like this is why i love this music i'm like i want to listen to it then i want to see what i that's i mean unfortunately i mean like a lot of people think of it as this very sort of like you know I mean, a lot of people say, oh, you like jazz. Nah, you're a pretentious. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, no, fuck you. Because, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of people will just try to like, you know, break it down and analyze it. A lot of people think it's just this thing you study in school. But, you know, I and I have this philosophy about all art is that, you know, you can't just analyze it to the point of like you break it down to like the individual pieces because then you miss the bigger picture, you know, analysis for the sake of analysis is just being pretentious, you know, yeah. jazz, like any other art form is something that is meant to have an emotional effect on you. Mm -hmm. Like I was this morning, as I was kind of waking up, I threw on, um, Jaco Pastorius's, um, uh, big band album that he did with his group called Word of Mouth and his song Three Views of a Secret is just like the perfect like wake up to kind of song as I just like make my morning coffee. Hey that's everything that's just what country music is to me that's freaking powerful man. 
I like the I, I've so much. very into country music in the last year. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I listened to um I actually had tickets to go see Tyler Childers and Sturgill Simpson. Oh, Tyler Childers? I fucking love that guy. He's he's one like I can listen to him like every fucking day. He's fucking and phenomenal. Sturgill Simpson's like newest album, Sound and Fury, has been like the album that has like got me through quarantine. Really? Um, yeah, absolutely. He's and then great um too. Coulter Wall is another one that I'm a huge fan of. Like he just his album uh he just released a new album today actually so oh there you go yeah um, i need i need to go like give that a give that a listen to i like the like very old school sounding country you gave you gave this great rant about i literally have that written down on my phone to bring that up it was on my dusty's drunken thoughts segment part but i'll talk about it now did you watch that rant i did and i agree with that rant because that's that's the country i fucking despise I'll just say it. I don't, I hate that like brand of like pop rock country because it's like, this is not country. So for people that don't know and don't follow me on Instagram, I've gotten into this quarantine. I have decided to just go on rants about things. If I fucking think I get bored and I, my Instagram is to make me laugh. And I really don't care if you, if people hate it, like I'm like, don't follow <laughs> me then. I don't care. It makes me laugh or I'm, I'm going to post it. I'm not trying to get more. I don't care. Um, but so I, I love all country. I, I, there is the new popper country. There's, there's stuff that I like. I like it a lot. I like country music mostly because I think it tells a story more as much as every song does to me. I understand it. It's talking about things I understand or like whatever. Now my rant was about Luke Bryan and Florida Georgia Line. And I used to be the biggest Luke Bryan fan. And I think some of his older stuff is still good. There's obviously song, there's songs about anybody, no matter what the genre is, I'll like, I'll like who it is. Um, I don't like to just label, I hate this genre, I've never listened to them. Um, but I'll, I'll list anyone, anyone has good songs, if you're fucking getting paid this much money to do, like you'll find it. But the fucking rant, for again, for those who don't know, was the fucking his music video called Hunting Fishing, or whatever it was. It was that one, and then there was also one he was doing with fucking Florida Georgia Line. And again, their songs of Florida Georgia Line, I'm like, okay. But for some reason, lately, I'm like, fuck off. I was very upset because this Luke Bryan fucking music video is, he's talking about fishing and shit. He's literally in the middle of the fucking ocean catching marlin or some shit. Hey, guess what? That's not what fucking country people do. They go on their fucking boats, their smaller boats, and catch bass and walleye all fucking day long. And I'm like, fuck you. And like, I don't know anything about Luke Bryan, whatever. But the he's, I feel like he's just portraying it. I don't see that it's um, yeah. natural to me. It seems fake to me. And then fucking Florida Georgia Line... God, like what they're wear whatever you want, but they're like the same way. The the song they were doing with Luke Bryan, I'm just like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, you're turning this into some hip hop music video, and I'm like, that's not no, shut the fuck up. That's not that's not country. No, and I've had I've defended it a lot because I have defended a lot of the pop shit, and like I said, Luke Combs is my favorite country artist ever. Um, right. He, I think he, I think you can mix the popish sound with the regular country sound, and 
it still be great and easier to listen to. Um, Morgan Whalen again, I've said him. Carrie Underwood, I know is poppy, but like I fucking love Carrie Underwood. But it seems more, there's just certain parts of it I think go way too much. I'll probably still be a fan of certain pop country things, but there's certain artists that go way too far. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're even doing right now. And that shit made me lose my fucking mind. I was so mad about it. So fuck yeah. you, Luke Bryan. I think, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of like, I'll put, I'll put this in quotes, country artists who focus on this like I, idealized version of, you know, being country. But then you have what I think are the far superior artists like Tyler Childers, who can like talk about sort of the darker side of life too. Yeah. You know, living in a Kentucky coal mining town that is like rife with, you know, cocaine and prescription pill addiction. Yeah. And it's, there's different parts of it. Again, yeah. I'm not saying all the bad, the pop country shit is bad. And I do like a lot of it because that's mm. my music. I like that music, but I do think certain people I'm like, okay, you're done. Fuck you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's gotten to too far you, with a lot of them. It's like you, you've lost your, you've lost your country card, uh, turning your spurs yeah. at the door. I'm like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. There's no <laughs> Reba McIntyre's really anymore. And yeah. the, but there's some really, like, it's just, um, but also, I, there's some really older country that I don't get into um, that I'm like, okay, I'm not, that, that, that just doesn't do it for me. But Luke Holmes is just the perfect example I can ever say is that I think is a mix, the best mix of both worlds. And he's just a phenomenal singer and shit. But um, yeah, I love that you brought that up because I was going to bring that up later but um <laughs> yeah I, I i i'm gonna have to give like i'll take it i'll take it on good word that luke combs is good i'll have to like give him a listen but i knew i've always known that you've been a you know since the day i met you i've known you've been a huge country music fan so i yeah. wanted to like get your hot takes on um the genre as it stands today well it's again i think that there's some obviously good shit because i do i have I have Luke Bryan's, like, there's literally, there's a song called Drunk on You, I think is a really good song. I remember I actually showed it to Joan, and I made her a CD from it, or whatever. Uh-huh. She always thinks me when she hears that song. But it's just, now, it seems like certain people, like, you're totally right on the idealism of, I, there is an idealism of, like, we only talk about fishing, trucks, beer, and whatever. But also, all modern-day music talks about the same shit. It's about heartbreak, love, having sex, mahos and bitches. Like it's it. Everyone, every genre has their thing that they talk about nonstop. In my opinion, and that is why I like jazz. That's why you like jazz, and I like country music because a lot of that shit is what I get into. Again, there's just certain things I'm whatever about. But Luke Holmes is like he literally sings a song called "Beer Never Broke My Heart," and I think it's fucking awesome song ever. But it's it's just funny to me. Brewers like put that on a plaque somewhere. Yeah. You know? My um. <laughs> my roommate my roommate actually saw a saw a quote somewhere the other day that like your best beer is your next beer and your next beer is your best beer, and I'm like that's like live that's like a, like get that like get that like you know on like a wood plaque and yeah. I'm like head up because that's like live laugh love for frat boys right there. <laughs> Yeah, if we ever, if I ever see that, I'll buy that shit 
immediately and put that mm-hmm. on. I'll get that tattooed on my fucking arm, dude. I fucking <laughs> love that. I fucking love that so much. Um, <laughs> so you have a twin sister, my man. Yes, I do. I have a twin sister who... Um, you made it a point to tell me that you are two minutes older than her. Yes, I get to hang that over her head for all of eternity. Um, but my twin sister is actually one of the smartest and most hardworking people I know. Um, about two weeks ago, she passed her boards exam and is now hey. official Dr. Paige Velika um, of physical therapy. Let's go, Dr. Paige Velika. Shout seven out to years, her. Seven years in the making that shit right there, you know? That's fucking impressive. <laughs> mind reading shit real the twins have? Telepathy Absolutely. or whatever? Dude, like, it is very rare if we are, like, on the same page on stuff, if even, like, reading out of the same fucking book. But, like... <laughs> um... Like we we just have we just have very different ways in which we go about things, but we recognize that like we both we both have our strengths and our strengths and weaknesses, and we can appreciate our differences. You know, yeah. uh, obviously when we were children we fought like cats and dogs. Yeah. But there, there was definitely something about like when we both went our separate ways for college that that actually kind of strengthened our relationship. I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister's a tough badass chick. I. Yeah. I never have to worry about like anyone messing with her because she will simply eat them alive. She's (laughs) just like, she's just that type of like, she's a very strong woman. And like, I, I pity, I pity anybody who would try to fuck, fuck around and, you know, (laughs) try to try to screw with her. Um, But, you know, I, I will always like, think of my sister and want what's best for her and hope she's doing okay and be ten toes ten toes down if she ever needed me like mm-hmm. there there are very few people that i would like drive out and like hop on a plane to laguardia for at the drop of a hat yeah you know that's a special also thing well i have an older sister um do, do you feel like no one there's no one you love as much love more but can also get in heated arguments at a drop of a hat with oh absolutely like no, i think it's crazy how nobody nobody gets under my skin like my like my <laughs> no, absolutely because here's the thing when you live with them and you grow up with them they know all your fucking buttons <laughs> every one of them they know everything that will set you off oh it's insane my sister and I can be totally fine one minute, and then the next minute I'm yelling at her, like yes. bully yelling, like "What the fuck is wrong with you, woman?" We have had like World War Three, Paige and I, on so many occasions. Fucking crazy. You know? God, family, what a family, what a weird fucking thing, you know? County, how are you feeling about the state of the world right now, brother? How do you Whoa. feel? As what I don't... a fucking just what a what a fucking year like uh you know we were talking hard. a lot about like we're talking a lot about like what it meant to you know come back to New York and start over and stuff and in a big way I'm like you know this is the year that might that's gonna make or break this whole acting thing for me yeah I think that's um 
I feel like a lot of people feel that way. I think it might for me, who knows? Um, but I've also learned other things are a little bit more important to me right now. I've kind of thought yeah. about what is what I want in life as a fucking almost 30 year old man at some point. Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy, but, um, I'm, I'm 26 in October. I'm not excited. <laughs> I'm out of my, I'm officially in my late twenties. Yeah, dude. It's fucking crazy, man. Um, <laughs> I had an existential, I had an existential crisis on my 23rd birthday when I first got out here. Do you, I mean, I, I, I don't even want to know where my head is going to be at come October. Like, <laughs> it's crazy, but it's also um, the realization of like, I need to do the things I care about and, you know, exactly. only live one time and no, I don't yeah. care how rich or whatever I, I am, but I'm going to have a good time no matter what I'm fucking doing. So it precisely, I've, I've ended up getting to double down on a lot of activities that I would not have. If I was still on like a nine to five grind in front of a laptop every day. Um, yeah. But it's, it's been a hell of a fucking year. There's a hell of a lot of change going on. And it's, it's always wild to think you're living through the next generation's history textbook. Yeah. It's fucking crazy to think of shit that way. Um, I have, it feels weird kind of promoting and doing stuff like this during these times where it seems like every morning something other horrible thing has happened. Um, but I also know that like, this is, I have to keep my head as positive yeah. as I can to get through it and exactly. try to put some, make someone fucking laugh or one person that like, when you texted me about the one episode and you're like, Dustin, that shit was that made, it was like one person fucking listened to it and it made their day. Fucking, that's all I care about. And that's fucking yeah. all you are try, trying to do. But obviously, I want the world to fucking change and be better and people not to be fucking idiots. I mean, as much as, as, much as we want to like keep our like finger on the pulse and be on top of everything that's going on, we also kind of just have to take care of our own mental sanity to a degree. And we all find catharsis in our own individual and unique ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's important that there are people out there who still want to make people laugh because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who used to do that before quarantine who are just like, fuck it. It's not worth it anymore. Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to have stuff like this that we can go and watch and step away from for a while and just watch two old buddies drink bourbon and bourbon. talk about, talk about their wild school days and, <laughs> and acting so and it's nice to just reminisce with people that i don't haven't got like just to sit yeah. for a couple hours and just sit drink talk mostly because you don't get to see i haven't been able to really see too many people during yeah all this stuff I, you, know, and it's, you know one of my favorite aspects of our our friendship is that we don't see each other on a regular basis mm -hmm. but we check in very regularly with one another and like we make sure that each other are like doing okay. Yeah. And when we do see each other, it's, you know, it's always like picking up where the last conversation ended off almost. For I, sure. think, I, think, I think that's the sign and that's the sign of a really valuable friendship when you don't have to be on top of each other 24 seven and can still maintain a, you know, level of uh, closeness and you know intimacy with one another 
um, even after like not talking for like a month or two. Yeah, it's, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things that this quarantine has kind of taught me is the people that you care about, like those are the people I've reached out to and talked to and like, hey, I just make sure you're okay and just kind of re reevaluate the way I think because I, I spent and I've always been really bad at like I didn't I don't reach out to certain people to people in general I literally work audition what if what I have to try to do and then I either go to my regular bar and drink whatever or I go home and sleep like I, I was always bad about that the last couple of years but yeah dude you're you're right it's care about our friendship a lot look hey you think drinks on Dusty doesn't get sentimental you're fucking wrong you're wrong I told you, I was going to come on here and we were going to explore the mysteries of the universe. Now look at us. <laughs> it's time for Rapid Shots. Drew, are you ready for your Rapid Shots questions, brother? Yes, sir. So, for anyone who doesn't know, Rapid Shots, I got 10 questions from my boy Drew here. And every week, personalize them for my guest. And I'm just going to answer. Drew, answer as fast as you can or whatever. When I did it with Chase last time, he kind of just kept talking about his answers, which is totally fine, too. Because guess what? Don't care. We're drinking. Who gives a shit? But it's time for Rapid Shots, baby. All right, Drew. Question one. If you could go back and meet any historical figure, who would it be? Um, I would be doing... Oh, fuck. Chekhov. Anton Chekhov. Okay. That's interesting. All right, you can have only one beer on an island that you're stranded on. What is it? Shinerbach. Shinerbach? That's the one? Shinerbach. I mean, that's interesting. All right, name three of your favorite actors. Oh, fuck. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Ian McKellen, and um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Viola Davis does great work. Ooh, dude, how to get away from... I always enjoy seeing her in something. I always know I'm in for. Oh, dude, did you have you seen fences? Her in fences. I've seen a few clips of her and Denzel. Oh, is just dude. electric. Fences is my favorite play of all time. And it's a great, yeah. So fucking it's, good. Uh, question number four: DC or Marvel? Marvel. Marvel. Okay. Do you have a I favorite superhero? I almost want to say DC strictly for Batman. Ah. Uh, did you see that new Batman trailer? Bro, it looks Doesn't so look good. God. It's one thing DC knows what the fuck to do. When they make Batman dark, they fucking know what they're doing. All right. Favorite holiday? Ooh, um, Christmas, because that is the one time of the year that I go back to Nebraska mm. and my entire family is together. Same. Favorite thing about growing up in Nebraska? Hmm. Um being from fucking nebraska <laughs> I, I don't think i appreciate i don't think i really appreciated what it meant to be from the midwest until i moved out here but I like that's some very fair point i i i just remember like i came out here and people are like where are you from and like some synapse fired in my brain that was just like i am from lincoln nebraska the good life the yep. great state in all of America. Yeah, dude, it's, I think living in, um, in the bigger cities, Chicago and New York made me like, cause it's also helped, but it's, it, the appreciation of that life has definitely grown more since I've not been living there. And I'm like, wow, yeah, this is like just a very deep appreciation for the mentality and sensibility yeah. 
Uh, who's your favorite? This is mostly because I started watching the show episodes. Um, who's your favorite out of the Friends cast? I don't watch Friends. You ne- what? <laughs> I've never watched Friends. You've never, Drew. Oh my fucking god! I hate you right now. You've never watched it. I've never watched Friends. Why? How? Ah, you stupid. Because I've never around. put Friends on my TV and watched oh. it. That's how I've never watched Friends. If I had to pick based off of like parts I've seen of Friends, okay, like I've seen I've seen bits and pieces. I've never sat down and watched a full episode. Oh. But if I had to pick. If I had to pick one character from Friends, um, Chandler. Chandler, yeah, I would say that you're definitely a Chandler. I am 100% a Joey, for sure. That's so funny I wrote that down. You've never seen it. That's hilarious. Uh, who would, what would you rather fight, an alligator or a shark? Um, shark. Shark, why? Because um, alligators are actually very strong and mm. like, but like a shark, Shark is like, you punch that fucker in the nose and he goes running. Hmm. I would never try it. So, like, I know my strategy with a shark. Alligator, alligator, you can't even outrun. Those, <laughs> yeah. those things will fucking get you. And it'll put you in its jaws that can, like, you know, crush metal and, Death you know. Death will fuck out of you, too. <laughs> just, yeah, just, just fucking corkscrew you until you're, like, limp. <laughs> Fuck, that'd be a horrible way to go, bro. Um, all right, what's one word to describe the first time meeting me? I would say fun. I, I forget, our, what was our first encounter ever? Oh, fuck, dude, to- I don't even think I know. Um, I think, I mean, I worked in the shop freshman year, but we met before that. I think you were building the set for Spam a lot at the time. I think um, maybe, yeah, because I think, because I remember... <laughs> I, I think it was funny because that class of y'all's, because I didn't do the summer musical or anything, and I was my last time I went back to Nebraska. But yeah. I remember always feeling weird. I ended up, well, dating literally half of that class and then becoming... <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I'm just like, I'd wake up in the morning. I'd wake up in the morning. I was like, all right, which of you is he seeing today? <laughs> Oh, I'm so keeping this in. <laughs> you better. You better. Yeah, that's so fucking funny because it's so fucking true. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> um, but I remember I always felt I had this weird feeling. I was like, because everyone just thought I was the carpentry dude. Yeah. Because I wasn't. I wasn't in any show, and I think the show I was in that year was. Um, I don't even fucking remember, but it was like a while, and I just, I was so mad, because I felt like everyone thought I couldn't act, and I was just the set dude. You, people just thought you were just like this, like, you know, meathead who just hauled around yeah. Basically. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this, when I first met you, I, and when I first met you, and I, and when I got to know you, I definitely felt like I found a very kindred spirit in, you know, taking, taking the acting world seriously, and wanting to put forth good and quality work i you, you caught me on the right time because i i almost got kicked out of that department no you didn't freshman what? year yeah jay almost kicked me out um i <laughs> so i was cast in enron and so when i first went to wesleyan 
um, uh, like, I'm not going to get into the story on why I decided to go there, but like I, I'm there and my sister was an older uh, senior at the time at Wesleyan. And I knew this girl, the girl on the dance team, Shelby, and they had a dance house that I would frequent and I felt really cool. But, um, so I started making friends with like that group when I first got there. I like didn't know anybody from when I went to the, the first time I went to like that, you know, that first annual theater company meeting, we, mm-hmm. um, I went there, dude, I sat in the auditorium, right? I sat the first row, five seats away from everybody else. And just, uh, I didn't like, I felt really weird and I didn't even really stay for the, like after to talk, I literally just left. And I just was like, ah, oh, these don't feel like my kind of people. And no, 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 no. I just felt really weird. And I, I remember I did like the initial auditions and no one really knew who I was. Cause it was when Joan was kind of going through her sick stuff and uh, yeah. Mac and Joan didn't know who I was. Jay was the only one at my audition and he, whatever, Cassie and Enron, I did not look at the schedule really at all. I missed the first three rehearsals. I just didn't go. And then there was one time, one of the rehearsals I was supposed to go to, and I literally wanted to go to the fraternity shit instead. Right. And I just like, ah, fuck this. I'll go to the fraternity shit. And I'll never, Jay sent me a fucking email and I've never seen Jay mad. And luckily this was just through an email, but this is like the only time Jay's ever yelled at me. <laughs> He's like, you have missed these this many rehearsals normally you'd be kicked out of the program right now we're giving you one last shot if you're not at rehearsal tomorrow you're kicked out of the theater program and then i was like oh shit i need to actually take this serious this is like what i'm here for uh, i can't and i you know just started going and uh took me it took me a year to you know become a hard working person that you're talking about but i thought I, I got there at some point all right next segment and you actually got, so I have four of these today. It's Dusty's Drunken Thoughts. Dusty's Drunken Thoughts, y'all. Here we go. Drunk ass. God damn it. And these thoughts that I've come up with while I've been drinking, and I uh, wrote them down. Um, so feel free. I'm just going to spit the topic. We'll talk about the topic um, as long as we need to or whatever. Um, drunken Thought 1. The soundtrack to Lion King 2 is way better than Lion King. Whoa, that's... The soundtrack, not the movie, not the movie, but the soundtrack for Lion King 2 is better than the soundtrack for Lion King, the original one. Have you ever ever listened to the full soundtrack of Lion King 2? Like the animated film. Yeah, the animated film. You've never listened to that soundtrack? I I have listened to that soundtrack. Deception! Fucking zebra. The fucking zebra's fire, bro. <laughs> There's a song in there called He Lives in You. Yes, it, that's a great that's a great number. That is the last song I listened to before I ever go on stage. And it was what I listened to before I ever played a single football game. When somebody when somebody pointed out that like the two younger like lions in that like the next generation lions, when someone pointed out that those two are actually like cousins, I was like <laughs> I'm just like, all right, I, I can't watch this movie ever again. Wow. I ain't talking about the fucking movie. I still think the movie's good. I know, I but know, that I fucking know. soundtrack is fucking That's, fire. That is, that, I think that there will, I think there'd be a lot of people 
not me, but I think there'd be a lot of other people who would hotly debate you on that topic, but I can completely see your train of thought. Hey, if you fucking think it's wrong, fucking message me. We'll fuck talk about it. Um, drunken thought number two. Well, we we kind of talked about uh we I won't get back into the Luke Bryan country music. I legit hate all the new hip hop rap music. There is I'm not on it. Yeah. It's not so Eminem is like my favorite artist ever. And good yeah. rap to me is lyrically good rap, meaning the lyrics are very good. I cannot handle this mumble rap bullshit. Yeah. I don't think it's good. I literally looked up, a, my, what started this gripe was I was like working out and I looked up on Spotify like workout playlist. And of course, all of it was just this hip hop rap shit. And I was listening right. to it. I'm like, this shit sucks. And I fucking hate all of it. It's not I'm, good to me at all. No, yeah, I am such a sucker for smart lyricism. Um, yeah. My favorite rap album to this day is um, Childish Gambino because the internet. Oh, um, he's fucking phenomenal. It's abs- absolutely like that album. I still listen to that al- to that whole album to this day and I hear these little quips he puts in there that I did not, that I have not caught before and I'm like that's, that's fucking brilliant that's you know? what's fucking beautiful about it he's, he, he's just such a smart lyricist and he's just, he creates such clever and intelligent rhymes that like it's, he's, he's, he's absolutely one of my top favorite hip hop artists oh, yeah. ever, he is, he's fucking ever. phenomenal all right, drunken thought number three. Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy and movie continuation ever. Um, this is, I'm not going to consider the Marvel Cinematic Universe in this because they're like, it's so many movies, and I think it's not like it's, it's, how do I explain this? But like, that's fucking crazy how they've connected all that. But like, just the straight trilogy and probably four to five movies, I would say. And oh, like, yeah. I'm saying it's better than the Harry Potter ones, fucking Pirates of the Caribbean, um, uh, Die Hards, uh, Terminator, yeah. all that shit. I, I just finished watching the third one today. It still holds up. It's fucking amazing. Um, Absolutely. But fuck Frodo. Fuck Frodo. Frodo, okay, movie Frodo and book Frodo are two very different Frodos. Okay, well, I've never read the books because I'm not a big reader. But How literally... The fucking books. Okay, uh, maybe I will. Probably won't, though, to be honest with you. But um, same way, I've never read the Harry Potter books, but I've watched all those movies. Um, Re- no, no, no. It's book Frodo and movie Frodo are very different. Fuck movie Frodo. He Frodo. doesn't... He literally... Okay, let's... Yeah. I understand that the ring has power and that it at one point, but hey, guess what? Number one, Sam doesn't get enough fucking credit. He literally at one point is the only reason Frodo gets to the fucking Mount Doom. He's the only reason he gets there. He carries him at one point. And then when Frodo comes up to what all he has to do is drop the fucking ring into the goddamn lava shit. He doesn't do it. He no. chooses not to do it. Sam Sam is the definition of a ride or die. But here's the yeah. thing. Book for like movie Frodo is very sympathetic to Gollum. Book Frodo, like, and I don't feel bad spoiling this at all. These books are what? 
50 years old, <laughs> you had plenty of fucking time to read them. Book Frodo. Book Frodo is a lot more in line with Sam. Like, there never comes a point. Like, there's a point in the movie where he's like, Sam, you need to just, like, literally turn your ass around and go back to the Shire. That doesn't happen in the books. Like, ah, that's interesting. Frodo in the books is always sketchy of um, Gollum. As like, he should be. I don't know how you're you not sketchy like, of the fuck. He is sympathetic to a degree, but, like, not to the level as portrayed in the movies. And the movies definitely play it up to, like, sort of, like, you know, oh, there's the breaking of the friendship, there's the epic reuniting of the friendship type thing between yeah. Sam and Fred. But in the, in the books, the friend, it's, I, I think that the books do a much better job of grounding Frodo as a character. Oh, that's more intelligent I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, are. like, I'm one of those people that's definitely, like, a book-over-movie kind of guy, and oh, okay. that goes thing. But, like, yeah, no. Lord of the Rings is the best trilogy, book or movie form that ever I, has yeah. been. Like as like I was trying to think of anything that would rival it, rival it. Um I think it, it also is just the continuation of each movie is really good and it builds to the final one. Oh yeah. Um, I think Harry Potter is good. Um I love the last two movies, but I think that the, I, I I don't think it compares to Lord of the Rings. Pirates of the Caribbean made too many and literally sucked after the second one. Oh yeah, yeah. It it that 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 franchise was dead in the water after movie four. Oh god, yeah. I didn't even. I don't think I've seen Fast Three, but um, I'm, yeah. I can't even think of another one that would be like to me. It still holds up. I also love like the makeup of the orcs and the non CGI ness of it. Oh my it's god, so fucking that, good. That one like Oscars, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, it definitely did. It won, like, it won, like, all the awards. It was some of the biggest, like, battle scenes and had, like, the most ext extras on record in that, like, time. Yeah, and I mean, still, it was the only thing that beat that Twin Towers battle scene is uh, the Game of Thrones uh, final Yeah, game, Of yeah. how long it was. But still, it's just so good. Fucking Viggo Mortensen is fucking phenomenal. Lana oh. Bloom's good. Fucking Gimli. They're, they're all, it's just it's, it's just a collection of incredible yeah, that, actors. That that movie is what introduced me to Ian McKellen, and I will all, he will always be Gandalf to me. Yeah, and, he is. <laughs> but like, look at Ian McKellen as an actor and realize he has these like decades of like Shakespearean work under his yeah. belt, and to realize that you have this like very true thespian playing um, this wizard just like feels so so right. Yeah. He's he's so fucking good at it, but yeah, that's um, I'm glad we agree on that. Uh, but final, my final final drunken thought, and I'll preface this by this may make me seem like a bitch and that I'm not cool or fun or anything. If you go swim in the ocean, if you put yourself in a shark cage, if you jump in the middle of the fucking ocean and surf and do that shit, you're asking to be eaten by a shark, and I think you're stupid, and I don't think you're brave. And I don't think you're cool. I think you're dumb. I think that we're you're asking for a shark to eat you. And uh, the argument stating that well, you're more likely to be struck by lighting than eaten by a shark. Don't care. Because guess what? I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I can't stay underwater longer than a minute. And there's, I'm in the shark's world. And I just, I'll see fucking people they put themselves in cages and they're, they're doing it. Ugh. And I understand the ocean is a beautiful, beautiful place. And I get how mysterious it is, 
but I don't want to fuck with it. I don't want to fuck with it. it. Scares the shit out of me. No, you, you don't want to go scuba diving and find no. Somewhere? Like I have no desire to do that at all. And you might know, Dustin, you're about fun. I have fun, and may, but I don't also put myself in risk-taking situations to die a horrible fucking death. <laughs> I don't fucking want to do it ever. Like I have no desire. People like anyone's like, well, you don't want to go scuba diving? Nah, no. Because the I, one you, time I do, would I fucking, you go snorkeling? You're literally on the surface of the water. Would you go snorkeling? Dude, honestly, don't know. Pro- may- maybe, maybe. See, I, I've I've gone snorkeling. That's cool. I'm not like a scuba diving kind of guy. Like, yeah, I like beaches are cool. I have this like living on the East Coast after living in Nebraska my whole life, which is landlocked. It's giving me this deep. It's given me this deep appreciation for like open water, I guess, and living so close to it. Yeah. Um, but like, there's like when you ask me like beach or the mountains i'm far more of like mountains. mountain kind of person you know so like i guess i don't have to worry about sharks as much as i do bears but like no yeah i don't i've never been someone who's been like if you want to go like see a shark there's always aquariums yep i don't i just it i don't fucking my head can't wrap around it and I understand that it's fucking beautiful. And I understand we need to learn about it. It's like 70% of our fucking surface area in our fucking world. But like, you, but like when people say like, oh, I'm going to go out on a boat in the middle of the fucking ocean and like drop down in a cage. No. Those people are asking for a great white to come for their toes. Yep. And part of me, <laughs> a part of me wants it to happen to be like, shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. Now, I understand, like, I would want, like, I understand the excitement of seeing something majestic like that in its face, but my scared factor is way more, is way above that. Like, right, I can live right. without that. I don't fucking need it. And I get that. Yeah. I fucking hate it. Um, yeah. Again, people, Jellyfish I'm not a risk taker, I guess, but um, whatever. Jellyfish freak me out. All of it freaks me out. Uh, literally all of it. I don't want a jellyfish to touch me. I don't want I don't want a fish to touch me. You know you know what happens if you get stung by a jellyfish, right? What? What do you mean? Someone has to pee on you. It's the only way to like I heard that that myth is I heard that that doesn't actually work. Is that is that so? I I heard through shows or podcasts that like it doesn't technically do anything. But hey, hey, real quick if we're if we're in the ocean and you get stung by a jellyfish, I'm peeing on you in less than a minute. Bro. Immediately. Right Immediately. Ah, piss on him. I right, piss on him. Piss on him. My time. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's going to end. <laughs> that's going to end Dusty's drunken thoughts. Um, before we end the episode, Drew, do you got anything you want to plug here, my man? Sure. Uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram at Drew Valaika. Um, you can find me on YouTube under International Shakespeare Players, where uh, I read with them every week or so, if not every two weeks. Um, we have a backlog of our live streams we can go through. It's an incredibly talented group of actors. Um, we should be done with the entire Shakespearean canon by December. Um, oh, we've yes. got out. 
I also do you do this on do you do this on like a live Zoom, my man? This is on a li- uh, live stream on YouTube. Live stream on YouTube. Okay, cool. Yeah, I also will be appearing as a character in a Zoom web series called Sunday in the Park, uh, which I filmed. That I filmed that with my friend MJ on Monday. Uh, I will be a part of episodes eleven and twelve. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram, I will definitely be posting more about that when those episodes come out. That's fucking awesome. So yeah, uh, everybody, uh, follow Drew on Instagram, watch out for his stuff. He's still creating art during this time, which is fucking awesome. He's uh, grinding and everything. Um, my man, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today, brother. I really appreciate it. Dustin, um, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, man. I love this stuff you're putting out there. (laughs) You're one of my favorite people, and one one story I have to bring up is when I, uh, do you remember when I left you a note during South Pacific? I do. I'm not going to get what you said right, but do you, I do remember it being emotional, I think. I mean, I I expressed how much you inspire me, and you do continue to inspire me, and I love you, man. Um, I'm really happy we got to do this together. I appreciate that, dude. Say, hey, here's proof that I'm actually a nice guy and that people do like me and think I'm okay. As, Dustin, you know. Dustin, hey, Dustin, you're more than okay, man. You're great, dude. <laughs> um, oh, God. I can't drink. I need to put ice cubes in that bourbon. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you having me drink uh, straight bourbon today and, you know, changing my palate up. Um, and again, man, you mean a lot to me and I appreciate you always being so kind and being supportive of me, it means a lot. Um, to everybody, like uh, his, his episode should be out in a few couple days. Um, so check it out. Uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We just got on iHeartRadio, so I don't hate iHeartRadio anymore. Um, we just, I fucking told everyone to fuck iHeartRadio because they hadn't accepted my application. Um, <laughs> but hey, don't, don't fuck iHeartRadio. They're cool. They let us on there. But we're on everything uh, is the as usual. The visual will fucking be on YouTube. Audio will be everywhere. Um, we appreciate it. Um, hoping to get sponsored by Crown Royal. Uh, so shout out to Crown Royal. We're going to keep shouting out Crown Royal until they actually fucking sponsor me. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll make an Instagram post and like tag them in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally tagging them in fucking everything that I do now. That's amazing. <laughs> I love but, that. Yeah, so... Uh, like the YouTube channel, subscribe to it, like everything. Uh, uh, end of plugs. I fucking hate doing that shit. Um, but yeah, I appreciate everybody. Um, everyone have a great day. Black Lives Matter. Be fucking cool in the fucking world and let the drinks flow and find somebody and make some cool memories. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Drew, you fucking rule, brother. Hey, man. So do you. All right. Peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thank you.